G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Al, this time of year, great to reread the Christmas story because sometimes the facts get lost. What are the biggest facts that we usually somehow or other misjudge or get out of whack or somehow or other we forget each year? Oh, I think we just get busy with lots of fun stuff and, and none of that's bad, Um I've got a couple of grandkids at the moment, and I'm looking forward to giving them a mountain of presents. But it's just that we can actually forget what Christmas is all about. It's surprising how uh, little effort it would be to really check it out. Two or three chapters in Luke's Gospel and two chapters in Matthew's Gospel. Although I do find that most Aussies have never actually read it uh, or looked at it as an adult. Uh, What is interesting is that Luke tells the story really from Mary's point of view, and Matthew tells a story kind of through Joseph's point of view. And Matthew is setting out to show Jesus as God's great king. So Matthew is telling the story of the birth of the king. That's why he, he tells the story about the wise men who turn up asking, where's the one who's been born, you know, king of the Jews? And uh, in chapter 2, you know, about King Herod's paranoia. So that's, that's Matthew's particular angle or agenda, if you like. And interestingly, Al, we often think of the Christmas story as, oh, that's what we tell the kids. It's a children's story. Well, it's not really a children's story. It's really very much a grown-up adult story that has a dramatic and deep meaning when you appreciate what the incarnation is all about. Uh, Absolutely. It's not really a children's story. If you read Matthew 2, there's a whole lot of little boys get murdered by a tyrant. So, it, you know, it's, you've got to tell kids, but you have to kind of calm, you know, tone it down. Sure, um, the theologians would talk about the incarnation, which means to become flesh, the, carn, the carnos part of the word, you know, flesh. And, and what the New Testament is saying is, is that, that God has stepped into our world as a, as a human being, born as a helpless baby to a young girl and, uh, and her betrothed. So, yeah, the incarnation and, and how do you wrestle with the idea of God becoming one of us? Uh, that's one of the big things that John's gospel uh, deal with. John may not talk about the Christmas story, but uh, John's gospel, particularly his first chapter, is talking about uh, the incarnation, God becoming one of us. So that if you want to know what God's like, just look at Jesus. It's like uh, Jesus is, forgive the expression, Jesus is like God in slow motion. Well, let's talk about some of the characters that we'll read about in the Christmas story. And uh, you mentioned the wise men. They're sometimes known as the Magi, and uh, people get confused about how many. I guess how many is not so important as what they were doing and the encounters that they had. Uh, Yes, Um, we, we sing about three wise men, although Matthew never says three. He just says magi or wise men from the east so there could have been four and uh, two of them split the gold present it was too expensive or something magi just means kind of a astrologer or um, 
like a magician in the sense of dealing with magic. It's a term that was used in the Babylonian and Median empires. Uh, interesting, the Bible says stay away from astrology. Um, you don't need that, but it speaks very positively about these three, or <laughs> three, these these wise men or magi who worked out from the sky that a great king had been born. I, I tracked down an article or a book written by Paul Barnett, who's a great Christian historian, uh, where he talks about the possibility of what the star may have been. Uh, every, well, Paul Barnett says every 805 years, the planets Jupiter and Saturn line up with one another and to the naked eye look like a new star. And that that, um, that happened in 7 and 6 BC. He quotes a, 1976 Time magazine article uh, where Time magazine, which is certainly not a Christian um, publication, talks about uh, this conjunction of the planets, Jupiter and Saturn, in around 7 and 6 BC, and how that fits beautifully with the time that it would have taken for the Magi to travel. So they see this star, and there's a prophecy uh, in the book of Numbers that talks about a great king coming from Judah, and uh, they'll see his star. So it's quite a well-known prophecy in the in the ancient world. They've seen this star, and uh, if anyone's listening, if anyone's got a pen, it's in Numbers 24, verse 17. They see the star and they travel. What's interesting is that they probably travel for something like two years. Often the uh, uh, you know Christmas cards will have the wise men arriving and baby Jesus is a newborn, and they're standing just behind the shepherds, uh, but. No, and when you read Matthew 2, um, they may have been travelling for up to two years. They turn up, and it makes sense to go to the palace if you're looking for a king, and they ask uh, King Herod, where's the one who's been born king of the Jews? So powerful insights when you talk about the Magi or those wise men, because oftentimes in a devotional sense we'll talk about the gifts that they brought, the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh. But when it comes to the story, who they spoke to, like King Herod the Great, uh, that was an important issue because uh, perhaps King Herod, given that he was partly Jewish, would have been aware of these prophecies that a king would be born and a new king would be quite a threat. Uh, Yes. Now, Herod the Great was a particularly nasty piece of work. My guess is he made up his own name because no one else would have called him that. The Romans conquered... Uh, Israel, I think it's around 63 BC, something like that. And then they set up a series of puppet kings to rule Israel. Um, King Herod ruled from about 37 BC and died in 4 BC. You may want to ask me later on how how is it that Jesus was born BC before himself, but that's a slightly another story. But Herod was a monster and well-known for uh, political paranoia. He had his wife and his son killed when he thought they were plotting against him. So Herod believes enough of the prophecy about the great king being born in Bethlehem. It's a quote from the prophet Micah. Now, whether or not he believed it himself or he believed that other people would take it seriously, either way, he, he believes it enough to have all the little boys in Bethlehem, two years old and under, um, in the story, that's how we know that the, the, the Magi have been travelling for around two years. Uh, Herod has all those little boys murdered um, as a way of kind of um, getting rid of the problem, or that's what he hoped. 
And of course, that means that Jesus became a refugee. And for people who think of Jesus as a refugee or that Jesus himself was persecuted, uh, there is context for some of the challenges that are going on in our world today because God is right at the heart of some of the biggest issues that our world faces today. We'll continue our conversation in just a few moments. Our special guest, Al Stewart from City Bible Forum. We're talking about the Christmas story and getting the facts straight and understanding the meaning of what was going on that very first Christmas. We'll continue our conversation in just a few moments. We're talking through the issues of Christmas, reflecting on that very first Christmas and some of the things that we often get out of balance because sometimes we don't get the facts right, but understanding the story and understanding the meaning of the story is very, very powerful for us. Our guest is Al Stewart from City Bible Forum in Sydney. Al, when we talk about the dates, let's just reflect on that for a moment because you mentioned some people might ask, uh, well, what's all this BC time? Because as we know, we have a calendar. So significant was the birth of Christ at Christmas that the whole world world's calendar revolves around this very important identity, the Son of God. But when we talk about exact dates, we're talking about his birth a number of years BC. Yes, um, that's, that's right. We know that Herod the Great died 4 BC, and he is alive when Jesus is born. So kind of what's going on? Once again, I'll turn to Paul Barnett's book, it's probable that Jesus was born in 7 or possibly 6 BC. Why the, the era, if you like, in the way the calendar was put together? In the 6th century, a monk called Dionysius, which I understand means Dennis the Little or Dennis the Short, he reworked the Roman calendar to pivot around the birth of Jesus. But he miscalculated the date of the death of Herod relative to the founding of Rome. So he was out by about six years. So, I mean, I'm sure he did his best, uh, but uh, we now know that uh, Jesus was born around six, maybe seven BC. So the calendar is not quite accurate to when the actual birth time would have been, and uh, I guess we'll just have to uh, grin and bear that, but (laughs) the fact that the calendar does date from when it does still is very significant. Uh, Absolutely. Tell us then some reflection on uh, having been born, the wise men, uh, Herod, and uh, his action then to put all children under two to the sword from that region. Why is it that Jesus, taken by Mary, his mother, and Joseph, why did they go to Egypt? Uh, Yeah, interesting. Uh, Josephus, the first century Jewish historian, gives an interesting piece of information about that. In the first century... He says there was something like, or they estimate, something like a million Jewish people living in Egypt. And so, you know, with, with successive invasions and, and uh, the exiles, etc., that Jewish people have been spread all over the ancient world. And so uh, a mum, her husband and the little baby are able to go to Egypt and just kind of blend in, if you like. Uh, in fact, as a tourist uh, in Egypt, I've been shown the, um, the kind of the underground little house where Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus are supposed to have lived. I'm not sure it's totally accurate and it did happen to be beside a souvenir shop, but um, they, they were in Egypt somewhere. Uh, it's likely that they came back before about the year uh, 6 AD, 
because Matthew tells us that Archelaus, who was Herod the Great's son, uh, was reigning in, um, in Judea at the time. But Archelaus was such an incompetent that the Romans replaced him with an administrator. I think it was around 6 AD. So Jesus was probably under 10 years old by the time he was brought back from Egypt. And then his, his dad and his mum, uh, well, his mum and dad took him to um, Nazareth where he grew up. Does that throw dates out for when we think of Jesus as being 30 years of age when he began his ministry? Uh, is that uh, is it something that we should be concerned about? I don't think so. Luke chapter 3 tells us when Jesus was about 30 years of age. So he may have been mid-30s when he started his ministry. Um, I think that's that's the point. Yep. Al, when we think of the story of the first Christmas, when we consider the meaning of the incarnation, the reactions of people in that day and the reactions that we ought to have or that perhaps as ministers of the gospel we hope that people do have, is there a disconnect of of what happened in those days and and what we think ought to happen in people's lives today when we we contemplate the, the story of the first Christmas? Well, I guess people don't change much. When you, you know, see, people might like to read Matthew chapter 2 and have a think about the different reactions. So the Magi uh, work out from the sky that a great king has been born and they travel two years to come and worship him. Big effort. King Herod hears that a new king has been born and he's a monster, but he takes action. But the strangest reaction of all probably is the people of Jerusalem, as far as we know, did nothing. Uh, it's only eight kilometres from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. So what, two hours gentle walk. And no one went out to check it out as far as we know. Uh, I guess they were busy. I suppose, you know, it was Christmas time, wasn't it? So um, people just get busy with other things. And uh, we life fills up and we get distracted by what's not truly vital. I, I spend my time around Christmas just saying to people, you've, you've got some public holidays coming up. Why don't you pick up one of the Gospels and read what Jesus did? Let the baby grow up because he's done things like no one else has ever done. And he says that your eternity hangs on how you respond to him. It's worth taking some time to understand what it is, uh, what the baby did when he grew up. Yes, the news of the baby was significant, but as you say, what can a baby do? And people would have had that common sense thought, well, it's just a baby. Uh, but <laughs> there is a sense, isn't there? We can look at the Jesus story, the first Christmas now, and say it's just a baby, but uh, we know a, a whole bunch of deeper things about what that story means that we ought not to stay with the baby in the manger. What you're saying is that we need to look at the grown-up Jesus to see the meaning of what happened on that first Christmas. Yeah, sure, that's right. It's the most marvellous story. It's the story of the greatest rescue mission ever, that that God himself steps into our world, born of a young woman, as a, you know, born as a helpless baby. Why? To come and show us what God is like, to teach us about God, and ultimately to give his life so that we can be forgiven. Man, I, you know, I think they made the movie about Jesus in the 50s called The Greatest Story Ever Told. They got the title right. And, of course, the fact that the transcendent God, who in all of those other religious 
uh, empires that may have been around in the first century and all of the religious empires that are around today don't touch humanity in the same way that God has done uh, through Jesus Christ becoming flesh. I think that's right. As, as far as I am aware, there's no other kind of religious or philosophical system that makes the claim of, of God the Creator becoming one of us. And um, it, it means the New Testament picks that up and says that in Jesus, God understands us intimately. He knows what it is to suffer. He knows what it is to be tired. He knows what it is to be tempted. And so he's able to help us. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing that the New Testament says. How, um, if you want to understand the love of God, understand uh, the incarnation and then ultimately his death on a cross. So good to reflect on the meaning of that very first Christmas. Al Stewart, we've had a number of conversations this year and always love your insights. City Bible Forum does a wonderful ministry work throughout the nation's capital cities. Uh, Happy and holy Christmas to you and your family and to all at City Bible Forum. Thanks so much for being with us on 2020. Thanks, Neil. Happy Christmas to you too, mate. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au. (laughs) 